Hello and welcome to the world-famous and jam-packed Driving You Crazy podcast. We have a huge uh, show for you today, and I'm looking forward to every last drop of it. I am the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News and the co-host of said Driving You Crazy. My name is Jason Luber. I am the multimodal transportation and pedestrian advocate, Joseph Peters, and I got a math problem for you, Jason. The answer is six. It may be. <laughs> if I can walk one mile in yes. 20 minutes and I can scoot the same mile in 15 minutes, but it cost me $3.82, was that money well spent? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> yes, it was. Good answer. Uh, I like scooting. Scooting is fun. Scooting is a verb now. Oh, it is? is yeah. So is that what we're doing? It's we're talking f- about scooting. So when you're using the scooter... The Lime scooter, the whatever scooters. Now you're scooting. You're scooting. Just like how Uber became a, v- a verb, and I'm Ubering somewhere. I'm scooting places. <laughs> no, I, I, th- I think that it is money well spent because time sometimes is money. Yep. Uh, especially for the big. That's why you see the big companies and the big deal CEOs who are getting paid crazy, ridiculous money uh, having their own planes because it costs them less to have the plane and that infrastructure and fly their people across the country than to have their time wasted at an airport, getting a rental car, going through flight delays, all of that. Because their daily pay, if you look at it, is astronomically ridiculous. Now, what does that say for our bosses here at the old E.W. Scripps company who fly southwest? They are more frugal. Um, i got to give them that. And we're obviously not as a big deal company as, let's say... GE, but also their time maybe not maybe as not as valuable as uh, what Roger Iger? No. Um, who else could we say? Definitely not Les as Moonves. valuable as Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban, Les Moonves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Any of those guys? Any of those? Yep. I don't know. I just don't know. Someday we'll fry private. Uh, today we're gonna go point counterpoint, kind of. Yes. On the driving you crazy podcast. Um, It's going to be point-counterpoint in the trucking industry as we look at some of the top concerns of truckers and the carriers as well. Uh, We're going to be taking two different trucking groups. One of them says the number one issue facing the industry is the low number of truckers, and we will speak to another group who says that's just not the case. Uh, We'll try to get to the bottom of all this, uh, as well as many other issues facing the trucking industry. And we'll also find out about where the future of trucking is going with autonomy and that sort of thing. Uh, I also wanted to mention that the transportation funding in the state, it's dead. Dead, dead, dead. I am stunned that neither of these two transportation bills, or I guess ballot measures, uh, that were on our ballot yesterday, neither of them passed. It wasn't even close. No. One of them was to institute a sales tax. That would then spend $6 billion, I think it was, $6 billion on our roads. $2.5 billion of that would go to rural communities. So 40% of the six would go to the rural communities. Then there was another transportation measure that was called Fix Our Damn Roads. And what that was is a bonding issue, and they wanted to bond $3.5 billion and then have that repaid through some money through the general fund where you're moving some monies around from education and other places and, uh, and, um, and sending it to the transportation that way. Neither of them passed. If they both passed, we could have seen nearly $10 billion in money, new money, going to 
Colorado roads and infrastructure and rural communities and to the transit and to biking and to walking and to railing and all those other different and scootering and all that stuff. But we go from $10 billion to zero. Mm-hmm. Zero. If you liked sitting in traffic before, hopefully you like it even more now that you don't have to pay an extra $0.10 cents for every $100 you spend in sales tax. So there you have it. It's, it's, it's interesting that there has been so much complaining about the roads and the condition of the roads and the congestion. And there is still a sense in the state that they don't want to pay for it. Yeah. And it's a lot of people. I mean, you're talking about 2.5 million voters last night. 60% of them voted down the sales tax increase. 61% voted down fix our damn roads. So you're talking out of that 2.4, 1.6, 1.5, somewhere in that range. It's a substantial amount of the population who doesn't want to pay these taxes or pay for any road improvements for that matter. And that's why when people ask and, and they say, why haven't we uh, increased our gas tax since 1980-whatever? This is the reason, because it will be voted down every single time. I mean, there were two different measures that were funded in two different ways. One was a sales tax, and one was taking money from the general budget. So one raised taxes, and one didn't even touch your taxes. And they still both failed. So now what? <laughs> I mean, you would think that if one was on there and say, well, maybe there's, maybe they, nobody wants a sales tax, maybe we should go the other way and get some money from the general fund. Well, nobody wants to take money away from uh, other stuff that it's going to in the general fund for transportation. So where are we? Where are we with all this? I don't know. I mean, it's really no man's land because there's there's not an easy answer out there. And the easiest answer that was out there just lost to the ballot. And now that uh, Colorado has turned blue, we have uh, the Democratic uh, controlled House and Senate in the state uh, and a Democrat governor and really Democrats all across the board in state government. So we'll see if in this new legislative session. Are there some transportation bills that will come out that maybe somebody's going to propose? Um, hey, maybe that we 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 take a little bit of money from here or there. Was 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 there money somewhere that that they wanted to take from in the last couple of years they weren't able to um, because it was a split house and Senate? That now they're going to be able to take all that money and then put it into transportation? I don't know. I, I th- don't know. I think what's probably going to happen is that. The rich are going to get richer and the poor are going to get poorer. Uh, you saw in Denver that a lot of the ballot initiatives that were put on the ballot here passed. Uh, this is a city that's really thirsty for some of the improvements that we're talking about here. Statewide, the appetite's not the same. And so I think people are going to target Denver and the Denver metro area and say, how can we focus our improvements here where we know they'll pass instead of trying to pass something statewide where it's DOA? And maybe that's the way to go, because I think you're exactly right. I think what happened was, even though that the one of the bills was going to put 40% of the money, $2.5 billion, out to rural Colorado, not along the front range, not in Metro Denver, and they still voted it down, um, which is stunning to me. But maybe you're right. Maybe you have to have separate measures now based on where in the state these projects are going to be or the money is going to be going to the projects. Maybe you have a list. Maybe you have a list of, all right, so let's vote on I-25. Are you going to vote for a a bond increase, tax increase, whatever the case may be? Are you going to vote for money um, for I-25 up north? Are you going to vote for money uh, for Highway 36? Are you going to vote money for Burlington's pothole problems? Right. You know, and, and just maybe have them as separate little issues 
throughout the state, and then you have to vote for every single individual project. Because what's frustrating, I think, as a met- resident of Metro Denver, is that you know Jackie Two Teeth in Grand Junction can vote and screw up my transportation funding in the eastern part of the state, and I just don't think that's a smart way of doing business long term, right? I, I, I think at a certain point, the urban-rural divide that we all talk about at the news station, that we see the tension between urban and rural, this is really where it comes from, is because I would guess if you look district by district, the Denver area districts are not the ones that are heavily against these transportation funding measures. It's the rural parts of the state that, to their fairness, are not seeing the returns on this stuff. Right. We can say that they're going to get 40% of new transportation funding, but there's no way to hold the, the government accountable for that. And so they just assume they're not going to get any returns. They're not seeing, hey, maybe I should help out my brothers and sisters in the eastern part of the state. And maybe that's what we do is we segment. uh, Maybe we just do it by region. All right. So the northeast corner of the state gets this much money and the southeast corner gets this much money. And and maybe they do it that way. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But that would be interesting as a follow up because Eric Lufer, one of our reporters, he asked me about what this means. He's talking to the Department of Transportation. And then he asked me what it means. And I I really focused in on the whole rural problem that Mm -hmm. the rural areas are not going to get any money and they are going to still be suffering with uh, their poor infrastructure, and, and they are growing. They're not quite growing as fast as we are here along the Front Range, but we're still seeing a lot of the towns on the Eastern Plains, Southeast. We're seeing towns in the mountains growing really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just going to be interesting. Seeing, I, I really am interested in this next legislative session to see what happens. I know that the new governor is going to say the transportation is going to be an issue, and they're going to want to fix our roads and the whole thing, just like our past governor has for the last eight years. It's setting up a run on Tabor, which is not something that we need to talk about on the Driving You Crazy podcast, but the day is coming when we vote to repeal Tabor, and it actually has a shot at passing. Now, the best headline of the week so far has been this. Drunk baggage handler fell asleep in cargo hold of airplane before it took off. (laughs) Honestly, there you go. In a move I didn't think was even possible, A baggage handler for American Airlines at the Kansas City Airport was apparently either drinking on the job or drunk when he showed up to work, and he was so drunk that he was loading baggage into a 737, so he got a little tired, laid down, and passed out in the cargo hold. He was so well hidden that he wasn't seen by anybody when someone outside of the plane closed and sealed the cargo door, and he was passed out hard enough not to hear the cargo door close nor the engines come on and fire up, nor the whole plane shaking as it's going down the runway, or the sound of the plane as it's taking off and flying to Chicago at 5.52 in the morning. That's drunk. I mean, that's (laughs) That's really drunk. drunk. I mean, that's not just drunk. That's really drunk. I mean, there's drunk, and then there's, you know, steal a horse and then try to ride it over to Churchill Downs drunk. Well, or pass out on the job. And fly to Chicago drunk. Now, it wasn't until the plane was at the gate in Chicago and the cargo door was open that he stumbled out of the cargo hold to the surprise of all the the people that were on the ground. No kidding. (laughs) Could you imagine that? Jason, what have you done? (laughs) It's opening the gate. Wait a minute. Are are you supposed to be in Kansas City? (laughs) Aren't you supposed to be sitting in a seat, buddy? Uh, He managed to survive the trip unhurt because the compartment there, it's heated and pressurized because that's where they can keep animals, too. So he wasn't in danger of uh, suffocating or being frozen to death. 
The employee was interviewed by the Chicago Police Department, the FBI, and the U.S. Attorney's Office, and that's pretty much standard policy involving any kind of aviation security issues. I'm sure that that was a fun conversation. I'm sure. Yeah. What were your plans in this cargo hold, sir? <laughs> Just a couple of hours, honestly. Like, I figured I'd be up, I'd be go back to work. Do you think he woke drink? up and he had to go pee so bad that he either peed in the cargo hold or he had to wait? I was going to say, are we sure he didn't pee in the cargo well, hold? Uh, no, I'm not sure. There we go. We're not sure. That has not been confirmed nor denied. The American Airlines flew, uh, then American Airlines, they flew this guy back to Kansas City where he has been suspended pending the investigation. A spokesman said, quote, the American team is very concerned about this serious situation, and we are reviewing what transpired, unquote. Here's what I see transpiring in the future. The man will be fired, and there will be a memo from someone on the American Airlines Safety Department team that will outline a new procedure that has to be completed to make sure there isn't somebody sleeping in a cargo hold before each flight leaves the gate. There will also be a memo outlining the current policy about not drinking while on the job or coming to work soon after drinking. Then all the employees will have to go through some mandatory training in the form of a video or something like that, and then have to sign off that they attended one of these meetings, and then about two or three months later, maybe sooner, all will go back to the way it was before the drunk guy fell asleep in the cargo hold. But at least there will be a do a once-over of the cargo hold to make sure there's no one passed out in here rule, because that's maybe. what we all... Well, yeah, the rule will be there, and then all of a sudden, after about three months, everybody's going to say, come on, this is never going to happen again. I'm, You know, shut the door. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. just move on about your uh, duties there on the ground. Hopefully the guy gets some help, though. I mean, for real. Like, if you're drinking on the job to the point that you pass out somewhere, that's probably should be a wake-up call. We'll see if it actually is. Because don't you think that – what time do the early morning shifts start? Maybe five. Maybe it started at 5 a.m. and he showed up to work drunk. Yeah, I well, I, I think there's a couple different shifts, right? It could have been two. Could, I, oh yeah, no matter right. what it was, it's probably not acceptable. And I would guess that he showed up drunk because I don't think the airport bars are open at five in the morning. But you never know. I mean, you just never know. Besides, you don't want to drink at the airport bar if you're a baggage baggage handler. It's Be expensive. Yeah, exactly. You it's an hour's to, worth of you work. You want to bring the booze with you. Yeah, you know that's how you get it. You just get it on board that way. All right, so I'm sure you've heard about the flooding and all the flooded-out roads near Austin, Texas. They've had all kinds of crazy rains down there. Well, we want to remind people about the old phrase, turn around, don't drown. I especially want to remind folks who drive for Google Street View cars about this phrase called, turn around, don't drown. There are two instances where this did not happen. One where a bus driver, he drove into some high water that overtook the bus and then it floated down a stream until it was caught in some trees. There was a kid on the bus with the driver, so that was a brilliant move. Uh, he has since been fired and charged with child endangerment. The other issue was more humorous from my point of view, and it was when a person who was working for Google Street View, he was driving a Google Street mapping vehicle and drove into a flooded road and became submerged into flood waters. And according to a nearby resident, the driver of the Google vehicle went around a barrier, hit the water, was swept off the road, and then was floating down the river just a bit. Now, the driver was able to get out of the car, went to that resident's home for help. I do have a feeling, though, that this could be the start of something good for Google. Because wherever you have a tragedy, you also have an opportunity, right? I think that Google could use this opportunity 
to come up with a fleet of submarines that they start to use for underwater mapping. I'm all in on this. I think it's a brilliant idea. Uh, I, I think they could do coastlines. Um, the Mississippi River would be really cool. Um, maybe the the Delta there outside New Orleans. You got to think bigger than that, man. I want deep sea diving. I want a light. I want to be able to see 550,000 leagues under the sea like I've always dreamed of on a live camera that I don't have to be a part of it and I don't have to put on scuba gear. I'm ready for Google underwater. Bring it on. That's what it would be. It yep. would be Google underwater. I, I, I do think it's brilliant. You could go underwater uh, uh, up there at the uh, Arctic. Yeah. Right? Under the sea, under the glaciers. Under the ice. Yep. All of it. You could follow the uh, transatlantic internet cable thing that goes from here to there, right? I, and don't they just lay the cable on the ocean floor? Yeah. Isn't that how that works? Something like that. You could all, you could get from Sarah Palin's house to Russia. Underwater? Yeah. Well, you could map all that out, I guess. It's not that far. There you go. You can see it. Okay, it's time to dive into the world of trucking. We've seen stories, and we've talked right here on the show, describing the problem many in the trucking industry say is their biggest problem, that trucking companies are having a hard time for many, many years of trying to recruit and retain truck drivers. Recently, the American Transportation Research Institute unveiled their list of the top 10 critical issues facing the trucking industry, and for the second year in a row, the driver shortage is the top-ranked issue for them. So here to talk about this important issue and some other issues in the trucking industry is Rebecca Brewster. She's the president and COO of the American Transportation Research Institute. Rebecca, welcome to the Driving You Crazy podcast. Thanks so much, Jason. Great to be here today. Now, from the perspective of the American Transportation Research Institute, how short are we when it comes to how many more truck drivers we need out there on the roads? Well, actually, um, I'm going to borrow some of the numbers from the American Trucking Associations where they estimate that uh, we have a shortage of about 50,000 truck drivers right now, over-the-road truck drivers, uh, with projections that that will get much higher uh, in the out years if we don't start to recruit more individuals uh, to the industry. And how do you go about recruiting those folks to the industry? Well, the industry has done a number of things. We're on, at ATRI, we're a research organization, so we've studied uh, a number of issues around the driver shortage, including this latest uh, annual survey where the driver shortage was number one. But primarily one of the biggest things that fleets are doing to recruit and retain drivers is focused on driver wages. And in a separate research initiative we do where we collect financial data from a number of motor carriers, we've seen, for instance, over the past five years, driver wages have gone up uh, over 33% just since uh, between 2012 and 2017. But it's not just driver wages and benefits that are going up. We're seeing fleets are offering other types of cash compensation to uh, again, recruit and retain drivers, things for uh, performance bonuses for safety performances or on-time delivery performance. When I was talking to the owner-operator Independent Drivers Association, they say that pay is one of their top issues and working conditions is one of their top issues. And, and they were talking to me about some of the other issues that they've had do you see that as really the way forward is trying to get, as you were talking about, more pay and maybe more benefits, that sort of thing, to retain these truck drivers that are apparently, according to them, uh, not staying a truck driver for very long? 
Well, certainly pay is an issue, but I think when you look at the results of our annual survey, because we have both motor carrier executives and commercial drivers who respond to the survey, and while the driver shortage was the number one issue overall, when you look at the driver side and look at driver responses, there are several other things that I think impact our ability to recruit and retain drivers. For instance, uh, number one on the, the driver side is the hours of service rules, and there are some challenges that the industry has with how those rules are currently configured. But number two on the driver side is the lack of available truck parking. And I think that's a real significant issue for drivers because they face it every day. There's such high freight demand, and we all as consumers want um, everything delivered to us right now. We expect when we order something, we want it the next day. We want our store shelves stocked. But those drivers, when they're out delivering all that stuff for us, need to have a place, a safe place to get their mandated rest. And there just isn't enough of that, uh, those parking spaces around. And so that's why you often see truck drivers parked on the shoulder of the road or on entrance or exit ramps uh, to the interstate. And that's a situation that collectively as an industry we've got to deal with because that's not fair to those men and women. Recently, or I guess in the last few years, there was a truck stop here uh, in Colorado between the town of Castle Rock and Colorado Springs. And that has gone away because of what what the Department of Transportation says. They didn't have the money to keep, do the upkeep at it, and it was a it was a place that was used because uh, for truck parking. Uh, because now I see them on my exit ramp and entrance ramp there when I'm getting on the uh, interstate from my place down on the south side of Metro Denver. So how how do we go about getting more of this parking uh, for truckers? And is it is it a matter of maybe opening up more? Walmart parking lots or other parking lots available to to these guys that are just sitting empty overnight? There are a number of solutions. Some are more costly, you know, putting more pavement out there for drivers to park, more parking lots for drivers to park in. But but you think about, and and I see this in my own state of Georgia, where um, rest areas have been shut down because the state budgets get tight and that's an easy thing to cut. But those are um, important places for, for commercial drivers to get their rest. Um, so it's, you know, reopening those shuttered rest areas. It's allowing expansion of private truck stops in areas where there is high demand for freight. We also need to have, there's high demand for trucks to deliver that freight, and we've got to provide a place for those individuals to rest. There are some technological solutions. For instance, we've done research that has documented how much time drivers waste pulling off the interstate to see if there's available parking. So if we can, through on a changeable message sign out on the interstate, give some real-time information to commercial drivers that says, for instance, six spots available at the next exit, then a driver knows whether or not they should pull in there if that's, or if they need to keep going down the road. So there, there are a number of approaches and solutions that are being worked on, but it's an issue that we all need to take have a stake in. Now, going back to the uh, issue about uh, drivers and the need for drivers around the country, the Owner-Operators Independent Drivers Association, again, they they told me that the shortage of drivers to them is a myth, and they say it's been that way for decades, saying there are still enough drivers to haul all the ever-increasing loads and store shelves are still full and Amazon packages are still getting to your door. So what do you have to say about at least their assertion that the driver shortage is a myth? Well, and I, I certainly appreciate where OIDA comes from, and I, and I understand that 
their assertion that if the pay is there the, and, the, and the work conditions are there, the drivers will be there. But I, I'm a data person because I'm in research, and I look at, for instance, the results of this year's survey, where, again, we break it out by drivers and motor carrier respondents. And even on the driver side, we see the driver shortage showing up on number nine as their number nine issue. And when I talk to, to drivers on our um, satellite radio program, you hear drivers saying, you know, we're feeling the effects of this shortage because there's being more demanded of us. You know, uh, owner-operators will call in to talk to us at Atria and say, you know, I can't, I don't even want to get on my email because I have so many requests to carry loads because there just aren't enough drivers. It's great because they're making money. We're seeing wages going up. But, but there's also, you know, a lot of demands being put on them because of this uh, shortage of drivers. Yeah, I did see that that you cite in the study that the drivers would rank the shortage as number nine, because I I think from their perspective, fewer drivers probably means more work for them. So maybe there's uh, uh, not enough money, I guess, to go around for uh, more drivers. Is that how their perspective is is going there? Why they ranked it so low? No, I, I think I think the fact that it shows up on their list. It indicates that it is an issue that's impacting them because it was not on the on the driver side of the equation even last year. Um, now it's lower on their list than some of these things that impact them more day to day, like truck parking. Um, but for instance, I see number five on the driver side of the equation is driver retention. So, you know, drivers are concerned about how we keep the good, safe, professional drivers that we have in this industry keep them on board. We're talking with Rebecca Brewster, the president and COO of the American Transportation Research Institute, about the major issues affecting the trucking industry. I, I saw that, as you just mentioned, the driver retention is number three on the list. It's one thing to recruit new drivers, but uh, two questions here. Why is it so tough to keep drivers behind the wheel, and why is it uh, such a high turnover rate? Well, oftentimes, and I'm going to go to the first, uh, the second piece first, a lot of times we see in the industry a lot of churn, drivers jumping from fleet to fleet, and I think that is exacerbated at times like this where the shortage is, is larger and where fleets are responding with things like sign-on bonuses. So if I'm a driver, I'll start with this particular fleet, I'll take advantage of that sign-on bonus, I'll work for them a little bit, and then perhaps the grass may be greener on the other side, and so I'll jump over to another fleet that's offering a similar bonus. Um, so I, I think that's part of the equation, but I also think that oftentimes we see individuals who come to the trucking industry later in life as a second or third career, um, they see it as a potential to, to earn a good living, but once they get out on the road, it's not a lifestyle for everybody. You know, it takes a, a certain personality type to really be successful as an over-the-road trucker, and, and it doesn't fit everyone's expectations. And so I think that's part of the challenge we have in driver retention as well. Now, fleets have responded to that by reconfiguring their um, lanes of traffic, getting drivers home more frequently. But there is still part of this industry that operates over the road, and, and we need to find individuals for whom that's an appealing lifestyle. As part of the proposed strategies under the driving shortage umbrella in the study, I see that there is an idea to recruit 18 to 20-year-old drivers at least get them as part of a uh, program to get them trained and get them introduced to trucking. To to me, a guy who used to be 18 to 20 a long time ago, I assure you that I was in no way mature enough to drive a truck at that age with that kind of responsibility. Why try to recruit people that are so young? Well, uh, Jason, I'm a mother of, of two young men that age, so I can appreciate that. But quite frankly, 
Um, in 48 states right now, 18 to 20 year olds can drive commercial vehicles intrastate. So they can, uh, an 18 to 20 year old can drive from San Diego to Northern California. They just can't cross the border into Oregon. And, and many people don't realize that. And so the industry recognizes that there is some potential for younger individuals uh, to fill some of those empty seats. But the industry wants to do so in a safe way, and that's why one of the research initiatives we have underway at ATRI is we, are develop we have developed and are testing an assessment tool that looks at personality traits most closely associated with driving safety. And if we can validate that the tool helps identify the safest drivers among experienced professional drivers, we believe it has potential to do so among a population of younger individuals as well. But it also seems like that would be an advantage to have younger drivers because typically they are probably not married. They probably don't have kids at 18 to 20 years old. Well, so maybe some do, but uh, you would not think that young kids like that would, would have a family structure that they would want to get back home to on a regular basis. So maybe they wouldn't mind spending more time on the road for longer distances. I think there's potential there, as you said. I think there's also research that points to some advantages to younger drivers. I mean, uh, we have younger drivers typically have faster reaction times that, that those of us who are older, those have may, may have dulled over the years. Um, so I think there are there is potential there for alleviating some of the shortage, but it needs to be done in a um, thoughtful and deliberate way using a research-based approach like we're doing at ATRI with this safe, uh, driver safety assessment tool. Number 13 on the list, but higher up in my heart, uh, is the issue of autonomy in the trucking industry. We saw here in Colorado a beer truck that was driving pretty much autonomously uh, with a driver that was just sitting in the, in the seat without touching the wheel. Uh, that seemed to go well. It looks like that's the wave of the future where we will eventually see autonomous trucks. I don't know if it's going to be in two years, but it might be in 20 years. But it looks like that's the way we're going. How, how do you think autonomy in trucking will change the industry? Well, we like to refer to, rather than autonomous vehicles, we like to refer to it as highly automated vehicles because more and more the industry has been deploying systems in the cab of the truck that provide assistance to the driver to make the driving job easier and safer, whether it be collision avoidance systems or um, mirrors that allow uh, the cameras that allow the driver to see what's all around the vehicle. Um, there are different technologies being deployed that will ultimately make that job safer and easier for drivers. And I think it holds great potential for us in terms of recruiting younger individuals, not just 18 to 20-year-olds, but 21 to 25-year-olds, for whom getting into the cab of a truck that is specked out with all the latest technology holds more appeal than the traditional view of what driving a truck is. Because I saw somewhere that there was an idea about one, let's say, a seasoned driver would be in a room uh, that would have a screen showing maybe 10 different trucks that are completely autonomous driving by themselves and was able to take the, uh, the control if he needed to with a joystick-type apparatus, but able to control really one person, 10 trucks that are on the road, not in stop-and-go traffic, but really in rural areas of the country where there is very light traffic going from maybe one big shipping center to another big shipping center. Is, is, is that something that you could see eventually happening? 
I think, Jason, that's far down the road. Um, I've seen some of the same uh, visuals of, of a, a pilot, if you will, sitting in, a, in an office and commanding uh, several different vehicles. A- at the end of the day, in, in the research that we've done, we say the driver is not going to disappear because the professional driver does so much more than just steer that truck down the road. Uh, you know, the professional driver has to fuel that truck. The professional driver deals with the customers. They load, they unload freight. I mean, there's so much more uh, to the job of being a professional driver than just navigating that truck down the road that we don't see that position disappearing uh, in the near future. So, uh, Mike, you know, contract uh, for this TV station, it's up in the uh, in the spring uh, and <laughs> have to keep re-upping it all the time. Uh, and I, I've thought about it one time in, in my life. I thought it'd be kind of neat to be a truck driver. You get to see see the world. And, and uh, now of course, I have a family and I like to see my kids too. Um, but is it is it is being a truck driver still a good job for people? I think it's a great career, and I've had an opportunity in in my position here at Atri to do ride-alongs with drivers, and I think it's a thrilling way to get out and see the country. Um, You really are your own boss when you're in the cab of that truck. Uh, Now, you've got a lot to deal with. We know about, and we talk a lot about at Atri in our research about the impact of congestion on the trucking industry, uh, the impact of driver distraction. Uh, because truck drivers have this sort of higher-up view to be able to see all the times that four-wheelers are sitting there on their phones and driving distracted. So there are, you know, workplace environment issues that need to be dealt with, but I think uh, driving a truck is a great career, and I consider the professional drivers that I know to be some of the best people out there. Rebecca Brewster, the president and the COO of the American Transportation Research Institute, thank you so much for being here on the Driving You Crazy podcast. Thanks so much for having me today. Now that you've heard from the American Transportation Research Institute about their top concerns in the trucking industry, it's time to hear from the perspective of the drivers. And the other side of this issue comes from the Owner-Operator Independent Drivers Association, who just released a video that they say dispels that myth. So joining us to talk about this is Norita Taylor. She's the Public Relations Director for the Owner-Operator Independent Drivers Association. Norita, thanks for joining us here on the Driving Your Crazy podcast. My pleasure to do so. Thank you. Well, I'm sure you read the information from the transportation uh, from the American Transportation Research Institute saying that the driver shortage is their top concern of the trucking industry. So tell me why it's a myth uh, that there are not enough truck drivers. Sure. Well, what your listeners need to understand is that the idea of a supposed shortage of truck drivers, that's a myth that's been around for decades. You can go back through news clippings years and years ago where there are reports of a supposed shortage. And yet here we are today, and store shelves have never gone empty. Goods have still moved just fine. What, what is really going on is that there's one sector of trucking that has a really hard time keeping people, and that's the truckload sector or what's sometimes called long haul. It's just that they have very high turnover. Why is there such a high turnover for the long haul truckers? Sure. Well, the the American Trucking Association's uh, their most recent report has turnover at 98%. So what that means is that on an annual basis, for every job, for every trucking job, truck driver job, there are two people to fill it. So what we think is going on is that there's an issue with compensation and with working conditions. That just seems outrageous that 
that you could have 98% turnover in, in any industry and then still keep it as an industry. That just doesn't seem right. That's what I totally agree. You know, most industries have 10 to 15% turnover. Retail and food industries, they go as high as maybe 50%. But those are seasonal industries, and so you would expect that there would be, you know, high turnover there. But like I said, most have 10 to 15%. And it just so happens that other types of trucking have about 10 to 15% or average turnover. And what I mean by that is that your private carriers or your short-haul carriers, sometimes known as less-than-truckload, LTL, those types of motor carriers, they have average turnover. They don't have the high turnover, but they also have predictable schedules and better pay. So I think the schedule problem with the long haul trucker is something that you just can't solve because they, they have to go long distances and they're going to be working weird hours. But why is the pay so low? Well, that's what we'd like to know. We think that the pay should be better. And, and one thing I can you know, kind of address your question is that most truck drivers are paid by the mile or paid piecework. And so that's kind of a problem. If people are spending a lot of time away from home, waiting at loading docks, there's a lot of time that's wasted at loading docks, waiting to be loaded and unloaded, and that's not compensated time. Because I've always heard that there, that there are good jobs for over-the-road uh, drivers, that they pay pretty well, somewhere anywhere between, what, fifty dollars and $100,000, depending on how many miles you're driving. Um, so it seems like that is a pretty decent wage. So why can't you keep, why can't these drivers stay on the road? I just, that seems weird. Well, there just aren't very many jobs that really are paying that much. What you have to take into consideration is that uh, sometimes they are advertising bonuses and things, but you don't get those until you've been there a certain amount of time. There's all kinds of strings attached to those to those offerings. What does life look like for the average long-haul trucker? I mean, how much money are they bringing on, in on a monthly basis, and do they have the sort of benefits that many of the rest of us enjoy in the working world? Well, according to the surveys that I've seen, most truck drivers make about $45,000 a year, maybe $50,000 a year. And the benefits can vary. Sometimes there's no benefits. So those are definitely areas that need to be improved if we want to address this issue of high turnover. So what should the compensation be, and how do you get to that point? Well, you know, one way to to address it would be to address the issue of what's called detention. And what I mean by that is that, like I mentioned earlier, truck drivers are expected to spend a lot of time waiting at loading docks and right now, there's no financial incentive for shippers and receivers to uh, refrain from making them wait. They just It just doesn't cost them anything to make people wait. And so they squander and waste truck drivers' time. I think that that would be one way to address the issue. The, the working conditions for a driver, is that also a problem with trying to recruit new drivers? Or is, is it just the hours, the low pay? What, what's the issue there? Well, yeah, you do have to realize that truck drivers who are working for long-haul or truckload sectors of trucking, they are spending a lot of time away from home, sometimes weeks at a time, missing family events, missing, you know, other types of things that are going on at home. So that's one 
uh, drawback to trucking and living on the road. You know, when people, maybe your listeners know or don't know this, but the reason why the cab is so large, there really is a bunk back there. And, yes, they really do have to sleep back there in a rest stop um, to take their uh, federally required 10-hour break. For me, it's just kind of horrifying, right? Because you figure you have a trucker who is in their cab for extended period of times. Often we did an interview a few weeks back with people who cook in their truck, right? They're doing all their cooking there so they can try to be a little bit healthier. But most of these men and women are eating fast food. They're cramped in, a, in tight quarters for long periods of time. No exercise. No exercise, not enough sleep. And now I'm hearing from you that most of them don't even have health insurance benefits or any sort of wellness incentives, and they're forced to outlay for Obamacare out of their own pocket. I mean, how does the industry as a whole reconcile that, that they're forcing these people to live unhealthily and then not compensating them on the back end? Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. There's a lot of things that should be better for the people that are giving up so much to make sure that our store shelves stay filled. So how do you get there? How do you get to all the points that Joseph was making? Why would anybody want to be a truck driver if there's all these problems with being a truck driver? Well, for one thing, we can start placing value on their time. Like I said, with all of the detention, all of the time that they, that is uh, wasted waiting for shippers and receivers, you know, we, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues on the regulatory regulatory side going on with truck drivers, and uh, the government places a lot of, of um, requirements on them under the issue of safety. But until the rest of the supply chain, meaning the shippers and receivers, unless they are brought into line and expected to um, have a value for that time, then probably nothing will change. We're speaking with Norita Taylor, the public relations director for the Owner-Operator Independent Drivers Association, about what they think are the top issues in the trucking industry. Let's say I was looking for a job. I mean, after all, my contract here at the TV station is up at the end of April. So, And you're a good driver. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm a pretty good driver. Um, I've always thought about uh, I could be a pretty good truck driver. How would you recruit me to be a truck driver? How would you do that? I, I would suggest that you find a small trucking company, a smaller company that, you know, is, is – uh, doesn't have more than 20 or 100 trucks. They're going to have probably better working conditions or at least, you know, some really good people to work for and uh, work as a company driver for a while. And if you if you like it, if you have a good business sense and good head on your shoulders, you could eventually become an owner-operator and uh, decide your own schedules and decide the kinds of things that you want to haul. And is that where the more money is, being an owner-operator? You're basically owning your own truck and then hauling, um, uh, I guess you're hauling freight from place to place just based on a contract with, what, just different shippers? Is that how that works? Yes, yes. When you're an owner-operator, you can do that one of a, a couple of different ways. You could lease on to a carrier and um, haul only things for that carrier, or you could be completely independent and work for any customers you want to on a regular basis or have different customers at a different time. Um, there's all kinds of uh, niches in trucking. You know, there's flatbed, there's auto haulers, there's refrigerated. It's a very diverse industry um, that 
it can be very rewarding if you're the type of person, it takes a certain kind of personality that wants to live that lifestyle. There's, there's all kinds of ways to get into trucking. Now, we just did an interview with a guy last week who was talking about how Uber and Lyft generally don't pay as well, and the turnover for those companies is very high as well. And part of the reason for that is that they're counting on people coming in, working at less than what you might call a livable wage for a few months, and then getting out once they realize what the scam is. My question to you would be, is that something similar to what we're seeing in long-haul trucking? Are they? Do you think these larger companies are comfortable with the higher turnover because it allows them to pay less? You hit it right on the head. It's exactly what's going on. If, if, if you have people, if you are constantly turning people over, you don't have to give raises for longevity. You don't have to give raises for a safety record. You don't have to worry about any of those things. That's exactly what's going on. There may be complaints about a shortage, but they're really not doing anything to change it either. If you could rewrite the list from that American Transportation Research Institute, the top uh, five concerns of truckers, what would be your top five concerns? It would be detention, the shortage of parking, the lack of training, and the hours of service, and probably one other, uh, other thing that I can't think of right now. <laughs> parking? Why, why is parking such an issue? There's a serious shortage of parking for trucks, and this is a national issue. And there is a committee uh, with the Federal Highway Administration that's been trying to address that issue for a number of years. At the moment, their answer is to keep doing studies, and we're trying to work with them to try to encourage them to not just keep studying the issue, but to actually, you know, open up spaces, do something proactive to make more room for trucks. But parking where? Like, where are they? Where are these guys needing to park? Well, you know, trucks. There's truck stops and there's rest areas, and that's it. So you're talking and about it, like places for these folks to stop to take their net mandatory breaks. So it's not just a truck yes. stop or a rest area, that yes. sort of thing. You need more of those around the country to help these guys out. Yes, we. What's what's? There's been a trend for the past few years for some states to close some of their rest areas due to budgeting concerns, and so that pulls back on a lot of spaces for trucks. And so if truck stops are trying to expand, they face uh, resistance from the uh, municipalities that they're in. You know, people don't want um, more trucks in their areas. So there's a lot of resistance and there's a lot of um, shutting down of uh, existing spaces it's a major problem and so when you see when you're driving down the highway and you see a truck on the uh, entrance ramp and it's just sitting there uh, that trucker is sleeping because he couldn't he is stopped there because he could not find a place to park yeah i see that every morning on my way in i come in at three in the morning and i do see that on the ramps right there coming from my access to the interstate maybe they just got tired at whatever point they they needed to, to pull over and that's what they did for for their own safety as well as safety of, of, of other people now i want to bring it back to something that you had mentioned earlier about how these larger companies are often the ones that are paying so much less are there bad actors in this space that need to be called out? Like, are there specific companies that we notice are more predatory, more trying to bring people in, wear them out for a few months, and then kick them to the curb? Well, just about anybody that's complaining about a shortage would be the ones. Anybody specific, though? Name names, Narita. We want to hear them. 
Uh, I can't think of any, any uh, off the top of my head, but I will say that the uh, American Trucking Associations definitely is an association that uh, pushes agendas under the um, umbrella of a driver shortage. And finally, for me, uh, how will autonomous trucks change the industry and the jobs associated with it? Well, what you have to understand with uh, technology is that there are levels of technology, um, driver assist technology going, you know, in different phases, and I think there's like five different categories that go going all the way up to complete autonomy. What you have to realize is that infrastructure is nowhere near ready for any anything near uh, the idea of complete autonomy. And so we, there, there's, a, there's a lot of years and research and, and things that need to happen, uh, in, especially with infrastructure, before any of that's going to happen. But we saw but, here in Colorado, we saw a beer truck autonomously drive down our interstate without anybody knowing about it. They did have somebody in the truck. But don't you think this is a way that if there were more, let's say, in the next 25 years, there's autonomous trucks out there, it's a way to uh, at least... Uh, fill that trucker shortage, the driver shortage, and and any issues that go around with that? Sure. We know that there's demonstrations going on in in, um, certain areas that have flat uh, highways with low traffic that, you know, there's testing and demonstrations, and we're aware of that. But what what some of these um, investors and manufacturers have to realize is, like I said earlier, trucking is very diverse. Everything comes on a truck. There's a lot of different kinds of loads that would just never work with autonomy or with even a high level of driver assist. So there's a long ways to go. And quite frankly, I think some of those companies are not very transparent about how well the technology works. Look what happened with that pedestrian that was run over by the um, uh, was it Tesla or Uber? Tes- Uber. Yeah, I mean, it, it obviously major fail in that area. So I would say that you're not a fan of autonomous technology at this point. <laughs> it sounds that way. Well, you know what? Te- technology can be a great thing. There, there are certain things with technology that can be a great thing. But what, like I said, there needs to be transparency and there needs to be uh, follow-through and thinking through all of the consequences. And like I said, infrastructure has to be a part of that equation. That's all very interesting because it, it, we, we know that eventually, because Joseph and I have talked about uh, the autonomy technology, and we, we think that it's going to be longer uh, in coming to fruition, and it will be mainly in the bigger cities first, but it's going to be longer than, than in the next two or three or four years, even though a lot of co- companies are trying to get their cars on the road right now. So it, it's just interesting to hear the pushback from your side. But I guess it's because you want to have all the owner-operators – keep owning and operating their own trucks and not have a truck driving itself without somebody in it getting paid. The safest thing you can have in the cab of a truck is a well-trained driver. Okay. That's, that's there a, you go. There you go. I guess that's, <laughs> that's a fine way to end the segment. Uh, Norita Taylor, the Public Relations Director for the Owner-Operator Independent Drivers Association. Thank you for joining us here on the Driving You Crazy podcast. Anytime. All right. So there it is. Uh, I will tell you one of the worst times to be a trucker is right now if you have to drive in Colorado because I was watching the drivers recently over the weekend, over the last couple of days, have to get out and chain up their trucks on I-70. And that can't be fun because it is snowing like crazy and it's cold 
and you have these cold change, and you have these these gloves that are probably soaked because you use the leather gloves, and they get soaked and cold, and your fingers get cold, and you're trying to put these chains on your tires while the wind and the snow's blowing all over the place and other cars are driving right by you? This is like a Colorado rite of passage, though. I feel like you don't officially live in Colorado until you've been on I-71 night, the snow snuck up on you, and you're in a gas station in the middle of a rifle trying to figure out where to find some <laughs> chains for your 2018 Volkswagen Jetta. Well, I did a story about a contraption called the Auto Sock when it first came out, and since then it has been approved as an alternative traction device, and it is a lot easier to put on than chains. You can get passenger chains. Uh, for your passenger car, and there are uh, requirements for cars. It's called the traction law now, and you have to have four thirty seconds of tire tread mm. on your tire or more, uh, or mud tires, snow tires, if you're going to be driving during the traction law events, uh, which can happen during the bad times. Or you can have alternative traction devices like cables or chains or this auto sock. And basically it's like a shower cap that goes over your tire. And you, and you put it over the part top part of your tire, and then you start driving it, and it flips onto the rest of your tire, and it actually gives you really good traction in, in the snow and the ice. It's great. The auto sock. How much do they pay you for these spots? Nothing. Nothing. I, I, how long ago was this story? Oh, goodness. It had to be. I was going to say, you've been talking about it since years. I got here, so a it's long, been a while. Long time. Uh, if I was a driver, I would rather use the auto sock than the chains. And you can't get them for the trucks. Yeah. Look, again, this is not an advertisement for the auto sock. However, I would not, I would not turn them down if they wanted to advertise here on the old podcast. Well, and less of a pain in the butt than chains is really all this selling that you need for That's a device <laughs> like that. <laughs> I mean, really, it is, it is tough as we're coming in to the winter season. So, anyway, that's about it for the uh, for the show today. Thanks again for listening, and thanks again for being here. Maybe to uh, remember to rate, review, and repeat. Uh, on iTunes, on Podbean, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, on the web, on whatever platform you use to you listen to this show. And you don't have to write a new review for all those platforms. You can take the same one you wrote for iTunes, copy and paste it, and bring it everywhere else with you. Control-C, Control-V. Yes, sir. People. All right. Until next time, thanks for listening. And I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. I'm Scootin' Fool, Joseph Peters. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.